So I want you to think back about a thousand years with me. Uh, it's Thursday night. It's the, the disciples there together for a meal. It's, it's what would become known as the Last Supper. And the disciples, they're milling around together and something arises. They, they begin to have an argument. They have a dispute. And, and the disagreement is over this. It's who is the greatest. Now, we don't know exactly what caused this discussion to happen, but, but they've had it before. And Jesus has tried to intervene before and, and give them some teaching, but, but it hasn't worked. And most commentators seem to think that the reason that it came up this time is because the person who was supposed to have been at the door greeting them and washing their feet didn't show up. And so now they're kind of jockeying for position to, to determine who the greatest is so that they're not going to be the ones who are stuck washing each other's feet. And so they're arguing over who the greatest is. And you can kind of imagine if you just think about it, you can kind of hear it, right? I mean, I can hear Simon Peter saying, hey, guys, are we really even having this discussion? I mean, I'm the greatest. I walked on water. Just say it. And I can imagine his brother Andrew would have piped up and said, and as I recall, you also fell in water. And about that time, Matthew probably says, hey, guys, listen, we don't need to talk about this any further. I have amassed more financial uh, wealth than any of you. And Thomas probably said, I doubt it. Some of you all will get that one in a minute. Then James and John piped up and they said, look, guys, you all can end this discussion because if you had any idea uh, what's, what's to come, I mean, in, in the years to come, there will be so many parents who name their sons after us, James and John. In fact, we're going to be so big, centuries later, there's even going to be a restaurant named after us. Jimmy John's. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. They don't get any better either, trust me. So the disciples continue to argue about who the greatest is. And, and Jesus does what your mom usually does in these situations. And that is, she goes back to something that she's already told you in a previous speech. And, and, and repeats it again. And that's what Jesus does. He looks at his disciples and he says, Hey, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. But Jesus isn't really optimistic that this, uh, that this teaching is going to stick with them. That it's going to take because it hasn't in the past. So why would it now? And so he abandons words and he decides to, to, to uh, do something that he hasn't done before. He decides to put this lesson on full display for them to see. An object lesson, so to speak. An, an unforgettable lesson. Here's what it says in John chapter 13. First, start at verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the mill and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to imagine what that would have been like. I mean, you're standing there with all the other disciples and you're thinking, this guy, he's got to show up eventually, right? He's got to get here to clean our feet, right? But then, all of a sudden, you, you hear something. And you hear water start to splash and you kind of glance out of the side of your, your peripheral vision and you see, yeah, sure enough, there is somebody washing feet. And then you take a full look around and you see that it's God. It's God incarnate, God in the flesh, and he's washing feet. And he goes to each disciple, and, and he, he washes them, he wipes them, he cleans them. He, he even does that for Judas. 
And then he gets to you. Man, what a moment that would be. To have God incarnate doing the job of a servant. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. It's interesting, I skipped verse 1 intentionally, but let me go back and read verse 1, and I think you'll understand why I did. Verse 1 says this, Having loved his own who were in the world, he, being Jesus, now showed them the full extent of his love. So before he washes their feet, the Bible says that he's going to show the full extent of his love. It's crazy that this verse doesn't show up before he hangs on a cross in an agonizing death. It doesn't show up there. It shows up right before he washes feet. So either one of two things. Either the disciples had some really gnarly feet. Or what God incarnate was about to do was really significant. And I have a hunch that it's the latter. He's setting an example. He's teaching the truth to us. John 13 verses 14 and 15 say this is, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that, that you should do as I have done for you. And now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We're in the last week of our series, Made for Mondays. And I hope that through, this, through these last few weeks, you're, you're discovering how significant those 40 hours in a week really can be. And here's the bottom line for our message today. It's simply this, is that God designed us to work and he calls us to serve. God designed us to work and he calls us to serve. And so if you're physically able, he wants you to work. Well, why does he want you to do that? Because he knows that there's something good that can come from that. There's something good that can happen in your life. And work, regardless of where you work, regardless of what kind of work that you do, work is your calling. Now that might sound kind of odd, but work is your calling. And Jesus was quite clear in his calling in Mark chapter 10, uh, 45. He said this, he said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his calling. Jesus' calling was to serve. And it's your calling as well. And so today I want us to look at four lessons that will help us uh, being used by God in our workplace and the first one is simply this is that serving prepares you for larger responsibilities serving prepares you for larger responsibilities think of some of the things that you did growing up uh, that in your younger years that now have have benefited you uh, and and prepared you for some of the responsibilities that you have today I'm reminded uh, back in the Old Testament of David you know it's still counterintuitive for us to think that the way to go higher in your organization is to actually go lower in your service but, but it is, and, and we see it all the time. We see it in life and in business, and we see it in the Old Testament in Second Samuel with David, uh, in First Samuel, excuse me. Because when it came time for the next king of Israel to be appointed, uh, Samuel goes to David's father's house, to Jesse's house, and he says, God told me that one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And so Jesse gets all of his sons together, and he parades them all out in front of Samuel, and Samuel looks at all of them, and he says, not any of these guys. You got, you, you got any more sons? And Jesse, kind of with reluctance, I think, says, well, yeah, I've got, I got one more, but, but he's out in the field. He's a shepherd. He, I mean, he, he takes care of sheep. Sheep are, sheep are dumb animals. He takes care of them. That's, that's his job. He's a shepherd. It, it can't be him, right? And Samuel says, well, go get him. Bring him in. And sure enough, David, the shepherd, is who it is that the Lord has anointed. I, I wonder if God was rewarding his servant's heart and his humble spirit. I think God noticed 
David's humility in the field out there with the flocks tending to the sheep, the, the long hours, the late nights protecting them. And sometimes God uses the mundane in order to prepare us for the monumental. So serve low. Serve low so that you can lead high. The fact that Jesus served his disciples sets an example for us. And it lets us know that we're going to be judged by our service. That's a clear message that comes from the parable of the talents or the parable of the golden bags. In Matthew 25, 23, it says it like this. Jesus speaking, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. You notice what he says there? He says, you were faithful with a few things, so you get more responsibility. You're gonna, I'm going to put you in charge of more things. The reward for success is not laziness. It's not the opportunity to, to, to just kick back. No, the reward for success is more responsibility, more opportunity, a larger platform to, to influence people for the cause of Christ. That's what we're working toward, to influence people for the kingdom. So serving prepares you for larger responsibilities. Lesson number two, work allows you to partner with God. He needs to be our partner in our work life because your job came from Him. Your job is a gift from God. Now, some of you are saying, it's a gift? Really? Yeah, it's a gift. And so you're thinking, well, when's the next gift exchange, right? Because I got a white elephant, I don't want to give them. Your job, though, is a gift. Your, your earning a living is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 3 says it this way. It says that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction. Notice this, not in their eating and in, in, in their drinking, but they might find satisfaction in all of their toil and all of their work. This is the gift of God. God wired you in such a way that, that it is fulfilling when you use your gifts and your talents. Business leader and, and author Howard Hendricks was Tell, tells a story about an American Airlines flight that he was on where a guy seated nearby him uh, was just outrageously rude and disrespectful to, to the flight attendant. Hendricks said that there was one stretch on the flight that for about 10 or 15 minutes, this guy who, who had been overserved and had, had had way too much to drink and just got worse as the flight continued, he just, he had all these unusual demands of, of this flight attendant and he was just obnoxious and rude and, and hateful and and it just, it, it was embarrassing for, for Howard Hendricks to, to witness it, he said. But, but the flight attendant, she was just gracious and patient and kind. And after she talked to this man for about another round of 10, 10 minutes, she just headed back to the back of the airplane, back to the galleys. And Howard Hendricks seized the opportunity and he got up from his seat and he went to the back of the plane and he found her. And he said, ma'am, I, I, here's what I would like to do. I am so impressed. I'm a frequent flyer, and I am so impressed by how you handled the, this obnoxious man up there. He, he's rude and, and obnoxious, and you have just handled him with so much grace and kindness and patience. And what I would like to do is I'd like to write a letter to, to American Airlines just complimenting you and, and telling them how fortunate they are to have you uh, as a person who just gives such great service. But before I can do that, can you tell me your name so I can... Write your name in the letter so I make sure that you get the, the, the honor that you deserve. And the flight attendant looked at him and she said, well, sir, thank, thank you very much. That's very kind of you, but, but you need to understand, I don't work for American Airlines. Hendricks, kind of puzzled by her response, said, oh, oh, really? She said, yeah, sir, I work for Jesus. And he's the one who helps me to be patient with guys like that. 
Who do you work for? Could God use you in the workplace like he used that flight attendant? Some of you are probably thinking, oh, come on, Adam, get real. You, you don't really understand. I live in the real world, and if I were to say something like that, I'd get fired. I, I'd lose my job. Well, I'm not asking you to stand up on the table in the break room at lunchtime and preach a sermon about Jesus. I'm just asking that when you're in that break room, that you be like Jesus. To, to, to serve others, it, it becomes easier to be like Jesus when you're partnering in your work with God. And I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon any day of the week. And there's no greater calling than, than, than to make your workplace your mission field. Understand that there's no greater calling and you all have each have a calling to work. And God has gifted you to contribute to this world. So partner with God in your work. Lesson number three is that God will judge our work from a different perspective than the world does. God will be evaluating uh, from his vantage point, knowing just exactly how you were made. We, we've mentioned this throughout this series. This verse has kind of become our theme verse for this series. Colossians 3, uh, 23 and 24. This is what Paul writes. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And catch this. He says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's, that's who you're serving. So again, who are you working for? Who are you working for? See, how you answer that question tells me what your priorities need to be throughout the week. And the Bible says that, that the Lord Christ, that He is our real boss. Let me share a quote with you that I, that I got from Richard Foster a few years ago. Richard Foster says this, he says, There's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When I choose to serve, I retain control about who I serve and when I serve. But when I choose to be a servant, I have given up all rights and all control. Let me explain it this way. When I choose to serve, that means I'm signing up for something. I, I signed a list at work. You know, you, you're going to build a, a Habitat for Humanity home in, in one day. And so you've, you've, signed, you've got all your staff together and you've signed up for a, for a three-hour slot. You, you've put your name on it. That's, that's choosing to serve. And, and don't get me wrong, that's great. We, we need people to choose to serve. We need you to do that. In fact, there's a sign-up list out in the in the information center with a with a, a ice cream list on it we need people to choose to serve to sign up to bring ice cream for our ice cream social if not it's just going to be social so we need you to serve we need you to choose to serve but but choosing to be a servant is is like this it's when you leave today and as you walk to your car you see some trash on the ground and you walk out of your way to go over and you bend over and you pick it up and you throw it away at the next available opportunity that's choosing to be a servant that's just being available 24 7 that that's what you do as a christ follower but but it takes both it takes people choosing to be a servant but also choosing to serve there, there's a really cool section in the sermon on the mount and jesus says this he says if somebody asks you to go one mile then, then i want you to go two miles with him you might even have a boss at work who, who's not a christian that will say something like like hey i need extra mile employees and they are referring to the fact that they, they, they want their employees to, to go the extra mile. They might not even realize that it comes from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Excuse me. But, but it loses something in our day, that, that phrase, go the extra mile. I think it loses something. So let me help you understand why Jesus would say go the extra mile. In that day, the Romans were oppressing the Jewish people. And whatever the, a Roman wanted, a Roman got. 
And so a soldier would be on his journey somewhere, and by law, he could require you as a Jewish person working in your garden or working at your house or, or wherever, he could require you to carry his luggage for up to one mile. And that's what it was limited to. So, so people would have a post in all four directions uh, from their house at, at, at one mile. And they, if they found themselves getting stuck carrying it, carrying a, a soldier's luggage, they, with a curse on their lips, would, would start walking toward that post. And they'd see that post in the distance, and they wouldn't ever say a word to the soldier. They, they, just, they just keep walking so that they could get to that post as quick as possible, and they could dump that bag in and turn around and get back to whatever it was they were trying to accomplish in the first place. And when they get to that post, they, they dump it right there at, at, the, at the foot of the post, and without saying anything, they just turn around and walk back. But Jesus says, if you're one of my followers, if someone asks you to go one mile, I want you to go two miles. Can you imagine what it would be like to strike up a conversation with that person, that soldier? Hey, where are you going today? Oh, well, you, you got a long ways to go, don't you? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a heavy bag you got there. You got a long day ahead of you, don't you? What do you enjoy most about being a soldier? And they talk all the way to the post. And they get to that, that one mile post and all of a sudden the soldier stops and he puts his arms out ready to, to take back his bag and you just keep on walking. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, buddy. You, you, you missed the post. The post is back here. Thanks. And you say, no, 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 no. I saw the post. You got a long way to go today, my friend. And I want to go two miles. And you keep on carrying. You, you keep on walking. I wonder what transpires in the next leg of that journey. Jesus wants his followers to do more than what is reasonably expected, even from an enemy. And to offer to go two miles for the ruling authority in, in your life rather than just one, can you begin to imagine the conversations that would be sparked in that second mile? So what does going the extra mile look like for you in your workplace? Perhaps you haven't had a conversation with that coworker about Jesus because you stopped serving at the post. At the end of your expectation. Hear me on this. If you want a voice in the workplace. Your voice will always be found. In the second mile. And it will come with full strength. Lesson number four. When you are a servant. Others will catch a glimpse of Jesus. Others will catch a glimpse. When you are a servant. They will see Jesus. I read a story a few weeks ago. About a man named Rick and his wife Diane. And they were out to dinner. And after the server had been by a couple of times, the, Diane said to Rick, said, hey, honey, did you notice the tattoo on the top of our server's hand? And Rick said, actually, no, I, I hadn't seen it at all. Well, the next time that she came and she served them, he saw, and sure enough, it was just a, a small little cross on the top of her hand. And Rick said he watched throughout the rest of the meal. Every time she came and she set down utensils for them, he saw it. When she put down plates, he saw it. When she came back to refill their, their glass of water or their glass of tea, he saw it. And he said, he said this at the end of the meal. He said, every time she served, I saw the cross. That's what we want people to see when we serve. We want them to catch a glimpse of Jesus, the ultimate servant. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I'm just telling you, the bar is set pretty low in the workplace. 
when it, when it comes to serving, when it comes to serving beyond our job description. The world is, is pretty dark, and when you're a light, when you're a light, God gets the glory by the way that you represent Him. Let's go back to the upper room, to the Last Supper. John 13, verse 14, Jesus says this. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. So that's what we're going to do today. And had we announced it uh, ahead of time, had we announced it last week, you probably wouldn't have come this week. And I'll just tell you, this has been kind of a logistical nightmare trying to figure out how to do this, how to, how to get all the kinks worked out to, to make sure that everybody gets, uh, gets the, the right things. And so we're going to distribute towels to each row in just a minute. Guys are going to come down, uh, the guys I talked to before the service, you're going to come down and you're going to start handing out those towels and small water containers. So if you want to go ahead and untie your shoes and, and loosen your shoes, you can. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that today. Go ahead, put your hand on your heart. This is a safe place. It's safe. Go ahead. It got really, really quiet in here for just a minute. Now, if I had said last week we were going to have a foot washing service next weekend, what would you have done? Number one, you probably wouldn't have came. And number two, this morning before you came to church, you'd made sure you showered, bathed, that you had that you had washed your feet like you had never washed your feet before, right? Why would you do that? Because somebody, everybody's going to be seeing them, right? Well, foot washing doesn't serve the same purpose now because you got here in a car this morning. You didn't have to. You don't have to walk everywhere you go. Our roads are paved. You have running water in your house. They don't serve the same purpose. But but here's what I want you to understand. Even though foot washing doesn't serve the same purpose, the lesson is still appropriate. That's why Jesus says that he set an example in serving. He, he goes on, he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So what does foot washing look like in 2023? Well, I think it takes a variety of forms in, in your workplace. It might just be filling the Keurig when, when it's empty at work and in the break room. Or maybe it's the paper in the copy machine that needs to be refilled. Or maybe it's parking further away so that someone who is less mobile has, has a closer parking spot. Maybe it's staying 15 minutes later at the end of the, of the day to help somebody finish a project. It might mean just encouraging your boss when they've been nothing but demeaning to you. Maybe it's wiping out the microwave after Sam from Accounting's tomato soup has exploded for the third time that week. Maybe it's just writing a note of encouragement to a co-worker. Or maybe it's about bragging to, uh, about someone who's downstream in the org chart to their superior so that they'll look good to their superior. Or, or just grabbing somebody a, a cup of coffee for a person that would never expect you to bring them coffee in the morning. These are all modern day foot washes. But, but understand this, they, they may not seem as significant, but understand this, that each and every one of those, they all require this. They all require time. That's what we all think we don't have enough of, isn't it? But I believe that God multiplies our time when we invest it into the lives of others. I love what Bob Goff says. He says, planning to love people is different than just loving people. It's easier to make plans than it is to make time. Yeah, guilty. You're choosing to be a servant 24-7, and when you do that, Satan will whisper to you, you're too busy, you, you don't have time to pour into the lives of other people. But when you serve other people, they see the cross, they catch a glimpse of Jesus. Did you hear about the Pope? 
Somebody gave the Pope a brand new spanking gold encased limousine, the, the sweetest vehicle you have ever seen in your life. His chauffeur came, uh, pulled it around to show it to him, and as soon as the Pope saw it, he, he looked at it, and he said, man, i got to take this baby for a spin. This, this, is, this is a great ride. And the chauffeur looked at him and said, no, 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 you, you can't do that. You haven't driven a vehicle in so long. I, I can't take that risk that you're going to drive this around Vatican City. You, you can't do that. And so the chauffeur and the Pope argued back and forth for a little bit, and eventually the chauffeur relented, and, and, and reluctantly he gave the keys to the limousine to the Pope. Well, the, the chauffeur said, I, I'll give you the keys, but you just got to promise me one thing. You, you, you promise me you'll be careful. Promise me you won't go over the speed limit. You, you, you'll, you'll obey all the traffic laws. Promise me you'll be so, so careful. Pope said, I'll be careful, I promise. Well, he gets behind the wheel, and he takes off, and he's just cruising down through the Vatican City, and he's going 70 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. And everything is great. He's having the time of his life. And then all of a sudden, the Vatican City police officer turns on his blue lights and pulls him over. Pope pulls over in his limousine, and he pushes down the little electric button that makes the window come down. And the police officer walks up to the window, and without even looking in, he says, Hey, buddy, what's the big deal? What, what's the hurry? And he sees who it is. He says, Oh, excuse me, Your Holiness. i got to go make a phone call. I'll be right back. So he goes back to his squad car and he, he gets on the radio and he radios his chief and he says, hey chief, I got a real problem here. The chief says, well, what's that? He says, well, I know there's a mandatory fine when you pull somebody over for speeding, but I don't think I can pull, give this guy a ticket. This guy's really important. The chief says, okay, well, how important is he? He says, oh, you don't understand. He's really, really important. He says, well, chief says, well, is he more important than the president of Italy? Officer looks, says, yeah, he's more important than the president of Italy. He says, okay, well. What about the president of, of Germany? Is he more important than the president of Germany? And the police officer says, yeah, he, he is. Well, what about the president of the United States? Is he more important than him? And the police officer says, yeah, he's more important than the president of the United States. And finally, the chief says, well, well, who is this guy that he is so important? And the police officer says, I don't know who he is. The chief says, what do you mean you don't know who he is? The police officer says, I don't know who he is, but his chauffeur is the Pope. Look, I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't make any difference in your organization whether you're the chauffeur or the one being chauffeured. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And people, whether they're on the assembly line or they're in the cubicle or they're in the corner office, people matter. People matter. In America, we love the rags to riches story. We love hearing those stories. But, but when God left heaven and he came to earth, it was just the opposite of that. It was a riches to rags story. Philippians 2 describes Jesus, it says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but making himself nothing, took the very nature of a servant. That was his nature. That was his nature. That, that I'm going to be a servant. That, that's what Jesus set out to do. He said, I'm going to be a servant. And listen to me, Jesus was called to serve before you were. He set an example for us. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 that I love. I love what it says. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's your workplace right there. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's, that's your workplace. That's the people that you, you're around. And at work, 
You're to be the aroma, the, the fragrance of Christ. And people should be able to tell that there's something distinctly different about you. If you can. If, if, if we're no different than the rest of the world, then what good have we served? Look, here, here's, here's our takeaway for today. When your career collides with his calling, when your career collides with his calling, your co-workers and your customers, they will encounter Christ. They have to. They have to. So let's just put all of this into practice and let's see what we can do. What is the one thing that you can do this week to break the expectations by going lower than your title would demand? How can you serve beyond what is reasonably expected in your workplace? Listen to me on this. God is not asking you to do everything, okay? He's just asking you to do something. And so the only question is, will you? Will you do it? Because remember this. You were not made for Sunday. You were made for Monday. Let me pray for us.